0: Okay, my love, I have put everything that I offer for free on one page so that we are not doing more work than we have to, because why would we do that? Hashtag work smarter, not harder. So livemyhappyhealth.com slash free. You are going to find everything I've created for not only leveling up in your personal life and building a life that you love, but leveling up in your business life and building a business that you love. Okay livemyhappyhealth.com slash free. Love you. Hello. Hello. Root of Power fam. We have got Kathy Lucky, with us, who I can already tell is going to be such a fun interview just from the little bit she has shared with us. She is a self care coach. She was a, a TED speaker. I don't really know the term. She, she was, a, is a TED speaker. Are you always a TED speaker? <laughs> she is a TED speaker. She is an author. She, she just supports you to live your best life via self-care, which like, ma'am, yes, please. Thank you. Love that. Hi.
1: Hi, Amanda.
0: Is so do you
1: say like you were a TED speaker? You are a TED speaker? Let me um, speak I would say I, I don't know. That's a really great question. I always say I was a TED speaker, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. It was in the past, but it is actually a big part of my life. Um, it was one of the best things that I ever did. And it really has. So cool. It, uh, it's so, it's so today I still Mm -hmm. talk about it a lot because of the impact that it had for me, for my family, for everybody. How, so I would love to be a TED
0: speaker. One, how do you do it? Like how, what's the process and, you shared a little tiny bit about yours. So can you tell us about your talk and what has happened since then?
1: Yeah, I, so the process was that I was lucky enough to be living um, at the time in Buffalo, New York. Um, at that time, I wouldn't have said I was lucky enough to be living there because we had moved there because some stuff had happened and we moved back there to be closer to my family. But I was lucky enough that while we were there, um I found this opportunity. I th- I think it was probably on Facebook talking about um an upcoming TED. So I sent an application in. It was a video application. They called me back and they said that they wanted to meet with me. And I originally applied for my ten year old at the time he was 10 years old, my son, to do the TED talk because mm-hmm. he had started this whole um we had actually started like a nonprofit for young kids, his age, him and my two daughters to do all of these give back projects in the oh, community cool. around the world. And it was really fun. It was really cool. He was traveling around to rotary clubs and raising all kinds of money and awareness
0: Hell yeah! and
1: yeah. And so I wanted him to go up on the stage and talk about how at eight years old, you know, that he had really made this impact. Yeah. So, I sat down with the team and I told them the story and how my daughters had gotten involved with their own charities. And, um, they did the typical thing. They were like, you know, your family's so amazing. You're such an amazing mom. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started (laughs) to tear up and I said, you have no idea what we're going through right now. And obviously, you know, they didn't, they asked. And I said that my, now ex-husband was just about to be leaving for jail, for federal prison. And so this woman leaned over to me, she grabbed my hand and she said, you have something that you need to say. And so it turned into me, um, the day he left for prison, I started writing my speech. And two weeks after he left, I was on the stage giving it with my kids in the audience. How scary was that? It was, it was, I didn't think I could do it. Yeah. While I, you know, up until the moment I got on the stage, I didn't think I could do it. I just knew that I had to, I knew I had to share the message. And the message was that it was, it was what I just told you. Like I came in here to tell you to tell everybody how amazing we are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're going through this. And so we're both, we're like, we're still, you know, great people and like good people.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but we're also going through this really, un, you know, unusual set of circumstances and we're not going to hide it. We're not going to be, um, mm-hmm. you know, we had friends who wanted to tell their kids that he was in Europe and, um, no. And, and I, and my kids being in the audience that day knew that from that point on, it was not a secret and they didn't have to feel shame and like they were hiding something from people when we met them, you know? So, um, so it was really, so the Ted talk was really about perspective, have keeping our perspective and, um, how we were going to show up in the world. You know, at first I was the complete Victim, I like dressed like, you know, I, I just looked like I was a train wreck, uh, because that's how I felt. And well, because life was oh, it was at time. Yeah,
0: like I was. can't imagine having children, and then you're you're
1: he you were still married at the time that he went to prison. We were, and and we had raised our kids in Connecticut, and we lived in mm-hmm. this beautiful little town, and we had we were really involved in the community and we had a really beautiful life. Yeah. And when the one day we came home and the FBI had left their card in our front door and we were gone in two weeks, we packed everything up, said goodbye to everybody we knew Wow. took them, uh It was actually during the summer, so they weren't in school, but we, we left, we got to Buffalo. We had a place to stay luckily and we got them into the, you know, schools there. So there were all kinds of losses and transitions. Yeah. And my now ex and I um, both lost our jobs in the pro. You know, when the company lost the company, yeah. so we had no source of income. Um, I had to completely. I was I was a teacher for years. I left teaching and went into business with him for years mm-hmm. while we were raising the kids, and. I couldn't go back to teaching. I didn't want to go back to business. And so I, I ended up getting into sales. I sold yellow page mm-hmm. ads in Buffalo. Oh, wow. <laughs> Gotta remember the yellow pages. Well, in Buffalo, the book is still big. Um, <laughs> you can still buy a double truck at a reasonable rate. <laughs> <laughs> so it so, I mean, like, we could spend Talk about hours. like your life turning upside down. Yeah, I mean, every everything was turned upside down. We lost mm-hmm. our cars, were repossessed. We left our family home, which in Connecticut, which for, was foreclosed on, so we never mm-hmm. went back there. I had to start a brand new career. Um, our kids. Is he were, still in prison? He's not. He he. We were in Buffalo for four years. The first year, mm-hmm. he was was the investigation. The second, it takes a long time. Talk about train. Like I, I kept saying, I feel like I'm watching the train crash, but I don't Mm. know how bad the damage is going to be. Yeah. That's how it felt. It was like knowing that this impending doom was coming, but we didn't know because when, when the investigation happened, we didn't know if he was going to be charged or what he would be charged with. You know, we had no idea. So there was all this uncertainty. Yeah. And then they did charge him. And then it took a year for the sentencing. Wow. Um, And then he was sentenced three months later. He left for prison and he was there for a year and a month. Hmm. But when he was done, he had to, he came back to Buffalo and he was in Pennsylvania in prison. He came back to Buffalo and he went to a halfway house or whatever you would call it. Um, He couldn't come home. So now he's in the same city as us, oh. but we can't see him. He can't come to games. He can't, it was, it was worse almost. Because of like custody or why? No, it was a, it was a mandate from the prison system that it was like a oh. step down. So he went from the actual yeah. prison to this, Halfway house where he
0: was staying. Yeah.
1: So he was there for a few months. He was then released, but he was at home on house arrest. So now he, yes, with me and the kids. And we had already, I had already asked for the divorce. So we were already, you know, separated. And um, And he's in
0: house arrest. Yes. Bananas.
1: Yes. And so So now you
0: haven't seen him in probably two years. And now suddenly he's literally home. By law. Yes. All the time. No, well, that must have been unless life. he was
1: at work, but mm-hmm. he could, again, he couldn't help me. He couldn't go to the grocery store. He couldn't come to no. a kid's game. He couldn't drive a kid anywhere, you know, and our kids were under, they were like eight, 12 and 13 or yeah. something like that, you know? Wow. So having that stage was bananas. Is so like, sure, yeah. Yeah. And then we we um he thought that it would be better for him to find a job opportunity after all of this happened back in Connecticut where his family and you know mm. and I really wanted to get back to Connecticut, but I wasn't sure how I would ever be able to afford it. The cost of living yeah. is higher. I was now a single parent. We were, right. you know, going through this divorce, and I knew I had to be completely financially self-sufficient because I couldn't rely on him for income because right. I didn't know how that was gonna turn out for him. Right. And so I reached out to um a a connection from our town in Connecticut that I didn't really know, but you know, had some shared like acquaintance. Like yeah. yeah we're
0: kind of connected and to you.
1: He was um a recruiter and so I reached out to him and I said I need to get back to Connecticut. Do you can you help me? And he said, Well I don't have any jobs, you know, that would make sense for you. But like, tell me everything that you want. And I'll see if I can just make an introduction for you. And cool. so I did. And because there was no pressure, I told him everything. And <laughs> yeah. at the end of the call, he's like, well, I didn't see this coming, but I could use you. Oh, and so I started working for him the next day. Perfect. And I got back to Connecticut. How serendipitous. Yes, isn't it? Hmm.
0: I love that. Like, I love that when you just ask for what you want with no pressure. Yeah. Usually, it finds a way to align, if not immediately. But it's like, oh,
1: the universe is like, oh, okay, that. Like, I'm gonna start working on that for you, and it's so lovely. Absolutely. My, my, I, I wish that I'd written them all down. Nobody would believe me. All of the times that that's happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that transition, that summer between when. He was off house arrest and decided to go back to Connecticut and the kids Mm -hmm. wanted to go back. And it was really pressuring me to decide if I could do it. Um, was probably the worst times. I mean, I was really in rough shape Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I, the minute I finally said like, this is what I want. I really Mm -hmm. want to get back to Connecticut. I want my kids to be with their friends and family going to this school, that is when it shifted and it happened.
0: I love that. And I very much find that to be true. Like I, (laughs) there's an exercise I really love to do with my clients. Um, I don't have a name for it, but probably the like, what do I want out of life exercise? And I can't tell you how much they struggle with it. Now, granted, I'm working with clients who have like, you know, trauma histories and things like that. So then like, Trauma trains you to never look to the future or like ask for what you want because you always get let down, all those things. So once we start healing that and I'm like, okay, now we're in a spot to be like, like, what do you actually want? And we go category by category. What kind of partner do you want? If you want a partner, what are they like? How specific can you get? What kind of job do you want? If you don't know what kind of job, what kind of characteristics in this job do you want? Where do you want to live? Tell me about the animals you have um, or tell me about the animals you don't have. And it's like, Once you know where you're going, like, it's enough when people start to say, like, I don't want this. Okay, great. That's enough to start. Like, walking away from something is still a direction. But eventually, we need to be specific, exactly like you're saying. Like Because otherwise, how do you know what you're going towards? Right. The more specific you get, down to this school, this neighborhood, this is the house I want, the more the universe just starts conspiring for you. And it's like... Okay,
1: you say you yeah. want these things. Absolutely, every yeah. time. And that, that place in the middle before you make that commitment is so stressful. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like you, you, you can't stop thinking about it, and you're just you feel like you're banging your head against the wall trying to like figure it out. Mm-hmm. When if you just really get quiet and actually commit to what you really want, even if you don't know how you're going to get it, yeah because I knew I wanted to go back. I didn't mm-hmm. know if I was going to have a job. I didn't know yeah. if I could afford it. Um, so yeah. It's- I love that.
0: Like hold the vision and be open to the process or oh, I heard it once is like, be stubborn about the results, but flexible about the methods. Uh-huh. I like that. Like whatever works. Yeah. I love that. So how did you get into the work that you're in now? Like into coaching? So,
1: when we got back to Connecticut, well, from the point when I asked for the divorce, um up until it was about 5 years after that, um I so during that whole time I was like very strong um on the outside. Everybody mm-hmm. used to say to me like I don't not. know how you're, yeah. yeah, I don't know how you're doing it. Um yeah. I have no yeah. other
0: choice. I have children to keep alive.
1: Yeah. And I was like, I feel like I'm dying on the inside every day. Yeah. I I don't know how I'm doing it. And right. so I got us back to Connecticut. You know, I was just kind of doing my thing, but I, the whole time my real goal was to find another husband. Okay. I was really, um, I want I loved my family. I loved being a wife. I wanted to, in my unhealthy thinking, I wanted to fix my family. Oh, yeah. I wanted to fix everything by finding, you know, a new husband. And so right, that was definitely the issue. Right. Exactly. Right. My problem and, is I didn't have a husband. That's totally it. Yes. And I, so you can, I mean, I, I had all kinds of unhealthy entanglements and like just really bad online dating experiences. And it was, you're
0: trying to fill a role
1: instead of yeah. trying to find the right person. Like I was talking to, yes,
0: I was talking to one of my clients a couple of weeks ago and I was like, okay, so legally blonde, right? Like imagine literally anyone but Reese Witherspoon as Elwoods. Like imagine like Sandra Bullock, quality actress. Miss Congeniality, always a good movie. But like Sandra Bullock is Elle Woods. Yeah, you can't do it. Angelina Jolie is Elle Woods. No. Jennifer Aniston, no. Like all of those people were wrong. But if they just wanted somebody in the role, Legally Blonde would not be the absolute banger that it is. (laughs) Like you have to have the right person to make it the right thing. And I think a lot of people, I'm really glad that you said that actually, because I think a lot of people and women in particular, abusive men do that. They just want somebody in the role. And then women who are like terrified to be alone and men who are terrified to be alone, but it, the dynamic is usually a little bit different do that. They're like, well, I just need a boyfriend. I need a husband. And it's like, well, do you want a husband or do you want the, do you want a life partner? Because those can be very different things. So I thank you for saying that. Cause I think that's a really important distinction.
1: Well, I was so afraid of being alone hmm. that I was and So for me, that unhealthy dating was like looking to fill that void because I thought that it would validate me. It would yeah. make me feel like I was worthy and wanted. And, right. um, you know, I because I didn't feel any of those things about myself. And I didn't feel secure in my ability to like, yes, I was paying my bills and yes, I was doing everything, but I didn't believe that I could keep doing it. Yeah, And I, and which is wild. Right. And it's
0: like, even if you have all this evidence that proves that like, Oh, by the way, you had been doing it for five years. Yes. Your brain is still like, no. Yeah. And it's like, if we don't heal those beliefs, we'll keep proving them. Right.
1: I had a long list of proof of the reasons why i couldn't do it yeah but i wasn't keeping track of the, the yeah. reasons you're just why ignoring it. you're like yeah. i
0: actually pay my bills every month and your brain's like no that's a fluke and it's like it's yeah. not a fluke for five years <laughs> like,
1: right ugh. so i, oh, finally, I love that we're on so i finally it. met somebody like the be- like the best story you know i saw him in the gym but i met him in the grocery store and we had this great connection like our kids were around the same ages. We got them together. Everybody was happy. We went on family vacation. He was sending me flowers. Like he, I went away for a weekend and I came back and he had put a new grill in my backyard, like put together a new grill in my backyard. Girl, I need my man to step it up. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I then <laughs> all of a sudden uh, it turned and I found out that he was an extreme, and this was like a six month beginning to end relationship. Mm-hmm. He was extremely toxic and, and I'm not a therapist, but I can say that he exhibited many, many. He was like love bombing. Yeah, it was love bombing. Yeah. yeah. For, so
0: for people that Hi. don't know what that is, if they never heard the term, it's where someone comes on way too strong in order to like build that like false attachment. So just for people who've never heard that term. Um, but that's
1: what I wanted. I wanted right. somebody to come on strong, like right. sweep me off my feet, fill all the, you know, buy me things, tell me I'm beautiful, tell it like I needed all of validate, that. Stuff. Validate, validate, oh, validate, validate. I want my family. Yeah. Because if I, well, I knew at the time there were things I didn't like. There were things that yeah. didn't make sense. There, there were things that he said <laughs> that I ignored because I wanted it so badly. Right. Um, so when that finally broke off and came to a head and it was really ugly, I fell apart
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just, I, I was destroyed by it because it shattered myself, my sense of like trusting myself. Mm-hmm. How could I have not in, made me question like, why am I choosing all of these unhealthy relationships? And why do I need all of his validation? And Mm. why do I need all this stuff? So I started.
0: What a breakthrough.
1: Oh my God. It was, but it was terrifying because (laughs) I could see it. It was terrifying because it, because now I could see how I was. Like playing a role. I was part of it, yeah, I made these choices. I looked away from mm-hmm. the red flags, I ignored things, I didn't yeah. speak up for myself, all these things, so I started doing some you know research on narcissism and the relationship to codependency and love addiction, and I really it made a lot of sense to me, so yeah. I kept um you know. I would read like all these books and I'd read the first few chapters and I'd identify with it. But then when it got to the healing part, I'd like close it up and go to the next book. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I just, I I didn't even believe it was possible for me to change. I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm 50 years old and I've been this way for so long. How could I possibly change? So anyway, the, the healing from codependency, which is what I finally like embraced. Good for and got you. To understand and heal from is what has changed my life. Oh yeah. Every single way. My relationships with my kids are better. My relationship with money is better. My yeah. relationship with food and people. And, um, I did have a healthy, uh, relationship and That's so. Fun. So when I had somebody who's a a therapist that specializes in toxic relationships and he asked me if I would do some coaching um and okay. I said I don't want it to be on the the narcissism and the toxicity I want it to be on the healing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's how I started coaching. Amazing. Yeah. And that's but- really
0: that's really a better space anyway, right? Cuz like narcissists don't Want to
1: change. Right. Well, yeah. And and focusing on what's bad in your relationship isn't helping you move along either. It's in taking the responsibility and getting rid of the denial and being and trusting yourself enough to be able to see the truth and what's happening. Which
0: is a skill set. Like, I can't tell you. So, I, as a therapist, am not for everyone. No, no one is, right? Like you're not for everyone, I'm not for everyone, but like one of the reasons is because I refuse to lie to clients and I refuse to let them lie. Yes. And I'm not super nice. About I'm not like a sugarcoating person anyway, but I'm very like, you fucking choose this. You choose yeah. this. Like I have a client who I've worked with for a couple of years and we spent probably a year of me going, you choose this. So either embrace it wholeheartedly. Yes. This is the person you want. They abuse you. They're cruel. They mistreat you. They don't think, they don't give a shit about you. Okay, let's just call that what it is. Like, but this is your choice. You have a role to play. Not that it's your fault, right? I think it's a very fine line and I'm sure that you run into this. Like, there's a narrative in codependency that I wish would burn and die. That is, you attract what you, oh God, what is it? It's something like you attract these people, you attract these abusers, right? And it's like, victim blaming, please get out of here. Like that makes me so angry. Or like your vibe attracts your tribe or whatever. So anyway, it gets very, very victim blaming. And I'm sure you have a lot of, do you primarily work with women?
1: Primarily. Women
0: identifying. Okay. so, So a lot of women have that narrative. What's wrong with me? I attract them. I'm doing something wrong. I'm blah, 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 blah. And it's like, Okay, you allow them, but that doesn't mean that you attract them. Like nothing in your energy is inherently attracting this person other than you're not repelling them, which is not the same. And I have found that that puts it in a more empowering space because now it's just a skill set. Like repelling people, setting boundaries is literally just a set of skills. Like I have a whole course. On it. Hi, learn the skills to stop being a people pleaser and stop being codependent. Um, because they're just skill sets. Like people who are abusive, people who benefit from codependent relationships is never the person who feels bad in the codependent relationship. It's not the women that you work with, right? They feel awful. It yeah. feels bad, but we justify because we don't want to be alone, because we're scared of the consequences, whatever. But like the person who actually benefits from it, they're not picky. They'll put anybody in the L Woods role. They don't care if it's a good movie. They're not looking for Legally Blonde to be a banger. They just want it to exist. Yes. So we have to be picky. And I think that's so much more empowering. And I love that you're in that space. And the reason that you chose to speak on healing codependencies is because it's infinitely more empowering to talk to the person being mistreated, being abused than it is to talk to the abuser. They don't care. Why would they change? They benefit from it. If I let somebody rob my house every day, they ain't going to stop robbing my house just because they suddenly grow a conscience. Uh, I have to lock my doors. So I'm not going to be like, you should really stop robbing my house. Like, that's just really bad. They're like, yeah, I DGF. <laughs> Like so I love that you take that stand because I it's it's much, much, much more empowering and it actually makes an impact. Like I would like why can't I talk? Okay, like the women that you see, I imagine, like, can you tell us where they start and where they end? Cause I do think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and like who just exist are where you were where they're like, Well, it's not possible, it's too hard. I don't think I can do it. My god, I don't have to get I'm gonna have to give up my whole life. And they don't see what's on the other side, which is everything they've ever wanted. So like, where do people start when they typically come to you? And where did you start? And where, like, what have you seen um, come into their lives as a result of them, like, getting rid of all the trash? And yeah. sometimes humans are trash.
1: Well, you just, you just described it perfectly, is they come <laughs> in without any hope at all. They, yeah. they don't believe, well, they believe that they're broken. I used mm-hmm. to say that all the time that I'm broken. Yeah, and, and I not. and I'm not, and I never have been. And I teach them the power of our words, yes. especially the "I am" phrases that we mm-hmm. use all the time. Um, I would I would allow myself to say I'm struggling, but I'm doing better because true. struggling was true, but it meant that I was also doing the work and getting. Myself to the place that I knew I could get. Right. So I allowed that when I really needed to, but I, I stopped allowing. I'm broken or, um, I'm devastated. I'm not devastated. I'm going through something that's really shitty, but I'm, I'm going to figure it out. I'm resourceful. I'm confident in myself. I trust myself. Those are things Mm -hmm. that when the people who come into my groups or coaching with me, they, they have a really hard time saying those things. Just to say, I trust myself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Because they never trust, have, right? You know, and and like- I think trust is the last thing to come and the hardest <laughs> yeah. thing to, to get. Cause we have to build trust just like in somebody else preach you No, know, but we have to build it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when we're codependent, we don't let other, we don't allow the time for other people's to build trust in other people. Mm. We trust them automatically. Yeah, 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 true. And so that's why our trust can get broken a lot because we're not looking for patterns over time and, and then being, you know, careful with our energy and the, the, um, the boundary, what you said about the boundaries is they're shocked when I say that boundaries are their responsibility. (laughs) My favorite phrase is, well, why don't they just do this? And I'm like,
0: they don't have to.
1: Right. It's not, the boundary isn't about what you're making them do. It's Mm -hmm. what you're saying you're going to do. If you call me after nine o'clock, I'm not going to answer the phone. Right. It's my responsibility not to answer the phone. They can call all they want. That's on them. Right. And so. So I like, love yeah.
0: that, like that switch because that is so, that in itself is so empowering because it says it doesn't matter what they do. Exactly. They do literally anyone in your life. Yeah, anybody. You get to respond however you want. Yes. However you want. Like it doesn't matter what other people do. Stop trying to wish they were better. Right. And then it comes the honesty piece, like stop wishing people were better. And just treat them as they are. I say all the time, like, don't treat a bear like a puppy. Okay? I'm not letting a bear live in my house because it will maul me to death. I will die. Like, it's not a puppy. So don't treat an abuser like a puppy. They're not. They're a bear. And a bear does what a bear does. I'm not trying to train a bear. I'm just not getting close enough to where it can, like, literally rip my chest open. But then people are like, Oh, such a sweet puppy, and it's like, bitch, you wanna die. Right.
1: And or, they're like, I'm so shocked. It's, I'm been, it's been through it's been through, you know, a lot of people come in and they're staying in relationships because their partner has been through their own traumas and so they mm. feel bad for them. Because in codependence we like to fix people. We like to save people. You wanna teach
0: them that love isn't is kind yes. and love is enough and you can save
1: them. Yes. And we'll be the person that never hurts them. We would never cheat on them like everybody else did. We would never let them down like everybody else did. We would never. Meanwhile, they let you down all the time. Right. Yeah. So yeah, they come in, um, without any hope. They Mm -hmm. come in, um, not understanding that the, the true issues are not being connected to themselves. And trusting themselves and listening to themselves. Yes. Yes. You no, know, and, and when they leave, which, which is what one of the things that I love the most about healing from codependency is that if you're really in it and you're really interested in it, um, and you're willing to do, you know, some very simple things, that it doesn't take that long to, see no, God, it grow doesn't, and change. Like it could be a, a week it can be a couple of weeks it can be a couple of months it really doesn't take that long once you start mm-hmm. to practice it and it's simple stuff yeah. like using your breath or um mm-hmm. you know finding out what makes you happy it's simple mm-hmm. but it's just not easy cuz we're not used to it oh you are stupid good keep talking <laughs> <laughs> well you Wait. said something earlier about um about what, what I say a lot is that it's not that, I don't remember, I'm mixing things up here that we said, but okay. it's not that we're broken or um, in our, you know, that like codependency, somebody said they were diagnosed with codependency.
0: I'm like, it's
1: not, it it not a diagnosis. There's nothing. As wrong- someone who
0: studies the DSM, not yeah. a diagnosis. There
1: is nothing wrong with you. This okay. is a, this is a set of thoughts and beliefs and behaviors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about yourself and the world that you learned or you didn't learn, which means that now you can learn Mm -hmm. or relearn them. Thank you. (laughs) And yeah, you're right. And I think like,
0: I use the framework of skills a lot because it removes the personal, right? Like, Literally, you just like, if you want to be good at the piano, you learn, you have to practice the piano. If you want to be good at setting boundaries, you have to practice setting boundaries. If you want to learn to listen to your intuition, that is a skill set. Even managing discomfort, right? So like a hallmark of codependency, of people pleasing, of avoidance behaviors, is that you avoid discomfort chronically which ironically makes you uncomfortable literally all the time like you're not willing to be uncomfortable to leave a really shitty relationship so you stay in a really shitty relationship but that's like far away discomfort where like the immediate discomfort is leaving or setting a boundary or speaking up or telling them to go to hell whatever like so if we can get people to learn the skill of managing discomfort then they can practice the skills they need to be happy. And it's like life is quite simple. Being happy is quite simple. Do the hard things so that your life is easy instead of avoiding the hard things, which then makes your life hard. But all of that is a skill set and it like I think people who are codependent. Because you're in it, right? It's very hard to get a bird's eye view, which is one of the values of having a coach who knows what they're doing or a therapist who knows what they're doing. Like, There's a lot of shitty coaches and therapists out there. I don't interview them because they can all go to hell. (laughs) But the good ones are able to take a bird's eye view and say, okay, well, here's your role in this. Here's what's actually happening. One of my favorite filters to use with women and men in codependent and abusive relationships is how does their behavior keep their power? Because people don't ask themselves that because you're in it, right? And you're like, they're so unpredictable. And I'm like, "Uh, no, (laughs) I can tell you everything they're going to do. Yes. Even if I've never met their partner, because Mm -hmm. I know their partner. I know their partner intimately, even though I've never met them. Yeah. Because they do the same shit. So that filter, like learning how to think, From a like farther away perspective, how does their actions keep them in power? I have found to be one of the most like powerful questions. And then it also puts them in a more empowered position because they're being honest about what's happening instead of thinking it's their fault. Like abusers benefit from their partner's thinking everything is their fault. And if they were nicer, if they were better, if they Mm -hmm. loved them harder, met their needs better, were quieter, were more low maintenance, God, I hope women are never low maintenance. Like be very high maintenance. (laughs) Like just do it. Um, They benefit from that. And then it reinforces the belief that it's their fault and there's something wrong with them and they're broken they don't love enough. And it's like, when you can flip that narrative, which, it, and it sounds like that's what you do. Like when you can flip that narrative and say like, actually it's not you, like you're participating, but you're not causing. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. And you're also capable. They 100%. They're capable. So, uh, you know, they'll say um, that they're afraid of the, a lot of people will stay and this is one of the hard <laughs> t- truths the thing Mm -hmm. that sometimes is hard to be honest about, but a lot of people will stay in a toxic relationship because of finances. Oh yeah. And not, you know, not that they're trying to take money from somebody, but that they're afraid that they can't support themselves financially on their own. And so they put up with things and, and sometimes honestly, that's true. It is. And it's hard true. And it's hard to admit that to Mm -hmm. say I'm, I'm saying my kids are in this toxic home because I'm here for the money
0: is a hard
1: thing to say. Yeah, But what it really says is that they don't think that they're capable of Mm. either making the money that they need or figuring out the resources. Like maybe you have to sleep in your mother's basement for six months while you save some money. You don't want to but yeah. maybe you need to and and you will when you finally make that decision to take responsibility you will do whatever it you'll takes you'll do it whatever it takes right and i yeah. and i tell people
0: all the time like there's nothing wrong with biding time just because you decide that you want to leave a relationship or a job or whatever that's toxic like doesn't mean you have to do it tomorrow and often i'm like let's not do it tomorrow because we don't want to throw you out of the what is it like? Out of the fire and into the frying pan, or right. if that's backwards. yeah, whatever this phrase is. <laughs> like, it's okay to to squirrel money away. It's okay to start talking to whatever supports you have. Sometimes it's not family. Sometimes it's a coworker. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it is family. God, I hope everyone has a great family, but that's really not the reality. But there is very likely one person in your life who is willing to say, "Hey." I can help in this way, which is its own empowering thing—is accepting help. But yes. there's nothing wrong with biding time. Like sometimes you can't leave yet,
1: okay? But then let's make a plan for when you can. Yes, unless you're unless you're in danger. And I will say that one thing—it um, it still is surprising to me that our denial is so strong mm-hmm. that sometimes. People are unwilling to see that they're in a dangerous situation. Oh, yeah. And so I, and they'll even have instances where the person was either, um, you know, physically threatening or violent yeah. to someone else mm. or even to them or their kids, mm-hmm. but there's always, um, some kind of qualifier for it. Yeah. It's and, that, well, because you have to, to survive, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, and I get, and I understand. Yeah. And so I always, I do always, um, when we're talking about staying, ask about safety, you know, physical safety and, and really recommend um, the domestic um, abuse website it has great like resource for yeah. identifying behaviors. When there's a
0: hotline and there's, I mean, I don't know a city without a shelter in it or like, you know, probably a lot of like rural cities don't have a shelter, but like there are always, that is always an option. And there are many, many ways to like, to mask website things. And there's apps that are coded as other apps. Like there's, there's ways to do it, but, but yeah. And those are
1: all things nobody wants to do, but sometimes. Sometimes that's
0: your only option. Right. And it is always an option, right? So I think it's, Yeah. I really love that you do this work because I think it all, it does start with like healing codependency. Like you have to, you don't have to love being alone. Like it's hard at first, but once you choose people out of want instead of need, you no longer have an imbalanced power dynamic. So then people can't have power over you because you, you don't need them.
1: Once you choose yourself over another person, Mm -hmm. it is life-changing.
0: Literally. Mic drop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I used to Literally. be a, the, you know, master distractor. It was my phone. It was alcohol. <laughs> I abused alcohol. You know, it was working. I still work several jobs. Da- you know, it's, it's being distracted in anything that I could do other than just be alone. I could yeah. not. The thought of it made me anxious. And now I do. I choose to be alone. I have a million things that I want to do that I feel like I don't have enough time in this life <laughs> to get done, you know. And so yeah. it's such welcome a, to my
0: travel bucket list. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's such a different, a different experience. It's so it's just so much more peaceful.
0: One hundred percent. And the, I think that's a good example of like if you do the hard thing, like learn to be alone, then the rest of your life is easy because yeah. you're okay. Like yes. again, you don't have to love it, but you're okay. But yeah. if you spend your life never being alone, your life is so much harder. Oh, oh this is good. I could talk to you for a long time. Yeah. So it's that's how
1: end I ended up doing. Um, so when I very first made my, I, so I really could not be alone. And mm-hmm. I was, I did, I took a dog sitting job. It was three days awesome. and they wanted me to not have any company Um, and to be at the house the whole time. So the universe is like, guess what, bitch? (laughs) Yes. I was (laughs) terrified of it. And honestly, in those three days, and I did go out and went to the beach and I met a friend, you know, for a couple hours, I remember it because it was like, um, but (laughs) I really was forced to spend time with myself. And that was definitely a, a change for me. And then what I started doing was, I had, you know, notes on my phone that mm-hmm. like, well, what would I do with myself if I had yeah. an hour? <laughs> what would I do if I had an hour? What would I do if I had a whole day? Weird questions, cuz okay. I had no idea. And that's yeah. what I find so many people say, I just don't know what I, you know, I'll say like find things that make you um feel joyful or bring you joy. They're like, I no, have no joy. <laughs> Cause I've been worried about my kids and my relationship and my job and everything else. And yeah. so that's how I started keeping these lists on my phone. Awesome. And then when I started coaching, I started suggesting like, well make a list mm-hmm. of the things mm-hmm. that you like to do. Make a list of the things that you used to want to do when you were younger. Make a mm-hmm. list of the reasons why you can trust yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Make a
1: list of the reasons why you are lovable. And so I put all these lists together and that is the workbook that is now called my self-care shit (laughs) that yeah. Um, so that's how I found myself was on Mm. these pages. And I still, you know, I was telling somebody as I put the book together, I would put a couple examples in for each Mm -hmm. and some of them I had to like Google still like, (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm still getting to know myself, you know, and yeah, um, I I didn't know what self care was. I mm-hmm. I literally Googled self care. I used to write. A, I had a sticky note on my desk that said, "What do you feel?" Like I didn't yeah. know myself at all. Um, But that's the that self care is
0: mm-hmm.
1: what life the codependency. It's what yeah. allows us to speak up for ourselves. How can we speak up for ourselves if we don't know how we feel? Like we oh. can't, what would we say? So.
0: Nothing, which is, yeah. Oh,
1: oh, you are so good. <laughs> so that's what it's you. all the stuff that I love. I mean, I yeah. just, I love this. Where do they I find it.
0: your workbook? Is it on like Amazon?
1: The workbooks on Amazon and on my website. Um, amazing. Yeah. We'll have links to yeah. that for them. Yeah. Um, and my Ted talk is on there too.
0: Nice. Okay. Oh, you were just good. So if people forget everything we just said. Yeah. And they remember this next thing you're going
1: to tell them. Yeah. What would that be? To breathe. To take one minute. To set your timer for one minute and just breathe. Because the The breath is the best root. It's the best self-care tool that we can have. The breath is what connects us to ourself. It is the healing from codependency. It is what brings us peace. It's what allows us to um, think clearly, to see, to have some optimism, to see some options for ourselves. It's what settles all of those racing thoughts. So... The one thing is always to just breathe. Hmm. Tell us how they find you. Um, KathyLecke.com is my website and that I put my TED talk and I mean, it's not an elaborate site or anything, but it's got my TED talk. It's got my book on there. It's got my social media uh, places to find me. And um, it's got information about the the one-to-one coaching and the group coaching that I do. I'm, I have got a bunch of stuff I'm working on. Um, some recorded classes and the,
0: uh,
1: some public speaking things coming on and a couple variations of books. And so I'm busy, busy, busy.
0: Hell yeah. Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. Me too. I love that. Dude, thank you so much. Like you are fabulous. Thank you for having me on. I, I loved it. And the, I, I, my thing this year has been saying, I want to bring more blue into my life Yeah, and show up uh-huh. with this blue hair. And I'm like, there it is. Dude, dye your, it honestly,
0: the colored hair feels so much more natural to me than my hair is naturally like kind of a dark Brown. It's yeah. real pretty, but the color feels so much more me. And I'm like, y'all.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm thinking with this white now, um, which I did through COVID, which was a lesson in healing from codependency. Right. And not worrying <laughs> about what other people would think. Right. Or, um, anything else that uh, I can add a little bit of color in there. Yeah. At
0: some point. Why not? I love it. I just do my whole head. And I'm like, I'm just too lazy to do like highlights and keep it up with this. <laughs> so I'm like, we just do the whole head. Yeah.
1: No, but Dude. thank you for having me on. I love yeah, talking I'm- about this stuff. And I love I honestly I love having like just a regular conversation mm-hmm. and not a, a a kind of structured interview and I like let they flow better.
0: Like I I always like to be delighted where I end up. So I'm like <laughs> we yeah. just flow. We, we always end up in a good spot.
1: No, really great.
0: Mm, thank you.